0: Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Happy Friday, if it is Friday where you are and when you are listening to this. I'm actually writing this on a Tuesday, and I'll record it on a Saturday, unless something changes, which, who knows, the days all blend together anyway. Today we have another pair of Homeric Hymns and the focus of our discussion today is Apollo. The two Homeric Hymns dedicated to him are number 3 and number 21. I'm going to start with number 21 since it's shorter. Uh, We don't know much about Hymn 21. We don't know when or where it was written obviously. We don't know who wrote it. It is a short five lines. It focuses on Apollo as the god of music and uses the epithet of Phoebus instead of the name Apollo. It is much more poetry than the storytelling we will see in hymn three. Even swans sing of Apollo when they use their wings as a metronome. But Apollo is always the first and last singer. The poem concludes by saying farewell and asking that the god favor the poet's song. So that is definitely the end of the poem, even though it seems to set up for a new song. I mean, why say farewell? So is this intended to be recited before a performance as a preface to some longer work? Um, there's a whole missing middle section, it's the end of something else, uh, just a poem? I don't know. But it is fun to speculate. Hymn 3 is much longer. 546 lines, uh, not including the parts that might be missing, and we know much more about it. It is the second oldest poem in this collection, and we have a possible attribution for it. uh, Kintheos from Chios, and that would date the poem to about 570 BCE. Now, even though this attribution was made by an ancient Greek, we aren't sure that it's accurate, and that date doesn't seem to fit everything else we know about the poem, because the poem is probably older than that. Uh, It is similar to him too, to Demeter, that we covered a couple weeks ago, in that it covers two different stories, and that raises the question of whether it should in fact be two different poems. Linguistically, the first half seems to be a lot older than the second half. And by a lot older, I mean anywhere from 50 to 100 years. And unless the poet was a child prodigy who lived a really long time, based on the linguistic evidence, there is no way one person wrote the entire thing. Susan Shelmerdine, whose translations I'm using for the Homeric Hymns, has her own proposal, which I do think is an interesting and reasonable way to look at this question. She proposes that, yes, the poem comes from two different traditions, the Delphic or Pythian and the Delian, but it was always intended to be a unified whole. And the differences in language are a preservation of the language associated with each tradition and a conscious choice of the poet. Um, When it comes to mythology, none of this really matters. It's just an interesting esoteric discussion. Whether written by one poet or two, for our purposes, this is a great source. Apollo's primary temples were on Delos and at Delphi, or again, Pitho. Um, And this poem explains his association with both of these places. So before we dive in, we'll take a short break. As noted before the break, we can divide him three into two sections. The first is about Delos, so it's the Delian section, and the second is about Delphi, um, and is therefore the Delphic section, and Delphi is also called Pitho, so it's also the Pythian section. The poet begins by remembering how Apollo, the far shooter, has the ability to make the gods tremble when he enters Olympus. The only one who doesn't fear Apollo and his arrows is Leto, his mother. She calmly takes his bow and loosens the bowstring and then hangs his quivering bow on the hook. (laughs) She's such a mother. I mean, how much time do we spend hanging up our kids' coats or putting their backpacks somewhere other than the middle of the kitchen floor? Zeus then toasts Apollo with a cup of nectar and Leto smiles, or perhaps gloats, to be mother to such gods as Apollo and his twin sister Artemis. Artemis was born on Artigia and Apollo on Delos. Now, we know where Delos is. It is a beautiful island and has been uninhabited since the ancient sites were abandoned. It is now an archaeological site, like the entire island. So you can go for a day trip, but you can't stay. I highly recommend going, and if you do, climb to the very top of the island to get what Giovanni Ciccolone once told me was the best view of the Cyclades, an opinion I wholeheartedly agree with. Who is Ciccolone? You're right, I haven't mentioned one of my favorite profs yet. He taught my ancient art history classes when I was studying in Rome, and he happened to work for UNESCO and be in charge of all archeological investigations for the country of Italy, it's something all of us learned about him much, well, well into our time spent taking classes with him. He's just a charming, delightful professor who knew everything. Uh, So Delos is a definite place. Ortigia, not so sure. Maybe a different island. But there's also a spot on Delos that is supposedly where Artemis was born. So it might just be another name for Delos. Uh, Ortigia means quail island, and quails live on Delos. I like the interpretation that both Artemis and Apollo were born on the same island. But that is a very long digression. None of that's in the poem. Uh, So I'll try to get back on track. The poet feigns confusion over just what to sing about, since there are so many songs about Apollo already. And then decides to sing about how the god was born. And then we see something this poet really likes. Lists. The first list we get is 14 lines, not items lines of places where Apollo is venerated. More than 30 sites are included on this list, but the list serves a second purpose. When Leto was in labor she couldn't find a place that would let her stop and give birth, and these were also places she visited on her quest. Okay, I'll go back. Apollo and Artemis' father is Zeus, but Leto is, as you know, not Zeus's wife. That would be Hera. So you can imagine how Hera feels about Leto being pregnant, and that's why Leto has been cursed to such a rough labor and delivery. So, Leto finally approaches Delos, and they negotiate the terms for her to stop and give birth. Not that it's easy. Can you guess how long she's in labor? Did you say nine days? Of course nine days! And then on the 10th, Yes, another nine, then on the 10th, in this case days. After nine days of labor, the goddesses who are attending her, and yes, this is where we get another of the poet's lists, these goddesses send Iris to bribe Elythea, the goddess of childbirth, who rarely leaves here aside, to come and help. And Leto finally gives birth to Apollo. What about Artemis? Yeah, this poem isn't about her, so the story of her birth is completely ignored. There is a tradition that she acted as midwife um, to, after she was born to help Leto deliver um, Apollo. Yeah, that's left out of this telling. The attending goddesses swaddle Apollo and feed him nectar and ambrosia, after which Apollo announces that his symbols shall be the lyre and the bow, and that he will be Zeus's prophet. And with that, he marches off. Precocious little take. The poet then sings a bit about Apollo's Delian cult and how the Delian maidens practice their worship. And then the poet says farewell to Apollo and Artemis before launching into the second section of the poem. And since the second section is longer, we'll take one more break here before we finish the story. now shifts to tell the story of Apollo's temple at Delphi or Pitho. I've been using the word Delphic primarily to describe this section since Delphi is the more commonly known name today, but this is again also known as the Pythian Hymn. The poet again feigns concern over singing a hymn to the god of music and lists a lot of gods and places. Uh, This time the list of places is where Apollo visits after his birth. He goes from his birthplace on Delos up to Olympus and then comes down from Olympus and travels all around Greece. And This section includes a tangent about how a cult of Poseidon near Thebes celebrates with a chariot race. Why? Who knows? Maybe the poet was from nearby and his yaya asked him to include the story of her favorite cult. Apollo finally stops when he reaches Telphusa, which he thinks is a nice place to build a temple. He announces his plans and then starts building. But Telphusa, the goddess of the place that bears her name, is not impressed. She sees what he's up to. He's trying to supplant her. She tells him that this isn't a good place for him to build a temple. See, there are chariot races held nearby. Regularly. And who is going to want to visit that Apollo's stuffy old temple when they can watch an exciting chariot race? No, he should go somewhere else. Somewhere quieter. Somewhere without all those pesky chariots. Like Chrysa, which is near Mount Parnassus and Delphi. And Apollo buys this reasoning and rushes off to Chrysa, And it is indeed a beautiful place to build a temple. So he does. There is one little problem. There's this serpent that is terrorizing the land. So Apollo kills her. Now, there's this monster named Tephion. Um, or Typhoon Uh, you might see it spelled after Zeus gave birth to Athena from his head, Hera got her revenge by giving birth to Typhon Um, and if you've been taking notes, you may remember that name Typhon Uh, Hesiod writes that Typhon's mother is Gaia, but this poet says that his mother is Hera and this is why it's so hard to make an accurate genealogical tree for the Greek gods Anyway, in this version, Hera is Typhon's mother, and keeping with this tangent, the poet also tells of how Hephaestus is born with crooked legs and how Hera is so disgusted with him that she hurls him into the sea where he is adopted by the Nereids in general and Thetis in particular, and yes, that would be the same Thetis that is Achilles' mother. And Hera is so angry with the Zeus for the whole Athena thing and the ugly Hephaestus thing that she refuses to go near him for a full year. And at the end of that year, she gives birth to Typhon, which is why everyone knows that Typhon was conceived through Parthenogenesis. But then Hera looks at her new son and realizes that he's kind of evil. So instead of keeping him on Olympus, she gives him to this serpent, this python, if you will, to raise. And that serpent does raise Typhon, at least until Apollo kills her. And that place, therefore, now bears the name Pytho, Pitho, in honor of that serp- serpent and where she died. And it's only after all of this that Apollo realizes that maybe, just maybe, Telphusa lied to him. He flies back to Telphusa and accuses her of keeping her lovely place for a temple from, from him, And in retaliation, he buries her and her spring in the cliff and builds an altar to himself under the guise of Telfusius. Apollo turns his attention back to his new temple and tries to find the right men to serve as his priests there. He finally settles on some men from Crete. These men are on a business trip to Pylos. Apollo takes the form of a dolphin, which sounds kind of like Delphi, and jumps into their ship because that's what dolphin monsters do? And yes, this is odd behavior for a dolphin, even in Greek mythology. So, yeah. The Cretans are understandably freaked. So they carefully interpret what the dolphin monster is telling them and change their route to go wherever he wants them to go, which, surprise, surprise, gives us another list of places. They eventually land at Chrysa, where all the women cry out in fear of them. Apollo then turns himself into a man, and the Cretans recognize that this is not normal behavior. They agree to become the priests at Apollo's temple. And Apollo says that since he appeared to them as a dolphin, this shall become his Delphinian cult. Um, The new priests make offerings to the gods and say they are happy to settle in this new place. Apollo then makes his first prophecy at Delphi. He tells these new priests not to take the responsibilities lightly. Hubris is a bad thing. Don't forget it. And the poet says farewell to Apollo and his parents. I think I hit on the important points throughout. Um, I have a lot of discussion prompts on the blog, largely because there are things that we know about Delphi and, say, the Pythian Oracle, who was a woman, but, again, all men in this, so... Um, so yeah, lots of lots of things to talk about over on the blog. The link, as always, is in the show notes. And if you go to the blog, I've put up a couple of photos. I think um, that both of the sites discussed in Hymn 3 are beautiful. And I've tried to back that up with evidence for you. So please check it out. On Monday, we have a little more Sophocles with his Philoctetes. Talk to you then.